Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash alam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast, benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide. And let's all of us come together, invest into our Sadaqah Jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi ladhina astafa. Khususan ala Sayyidi Rusri wa Khatimi al-Anbiya wa ala alihi latkiya wa ashabihi latkiya amma ba'd. Today we continue with hadith number 13 from the book. Is that correct? 13, number 12? Okay. Hadith number 12 of Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda rahimahullah ta'ala's book Ar-Rasul Al-Mu'allim. In this book the Shaykh examines the amazing qualities of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as an educator and teacher. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to embody them. Go ahead. On the authority of Abu Rifa'a al-Adawi, who said, I came to Rasulullah while he was delivering a lecture. I said, O Messenger of Allah, I am a stranger who has come to find, find out about my religion, as I do not know anything about it. Rasulullah turned towards me, stopped his lecture, 
and then came to me. A, a chair was brought for him. I think it had legs made of steel. Rasulullah sat on the chair and began teaching some of what Allah Ta'ala had taught him. He then returned to complete his lecture. Yes. In, Go ahead. In his commentary of Sahih Muslim, Imam Nawawi said, This hadith demonstrates Rasulullah's humility, kindness, compassion, and accessibility to the Muslims. It also demonstrates that a seeker must be well-mannered when speaking or questioning a alim. The hadith also teaches us that a person should hasten to answer a questioner and should give preference to more important matters. This companion may have asked about iman and its important, uh, and its important fundamentals. The ulama are, are unanimous in their view that when a person comes inquiring about iman and the manner of embracing Islam, it is in Cuban to answer his question and to teach him immediately. So here, um we look at this narration that Imam Bukhari narrates in his Al-Adab al-Mufrad that the companion Abu Rufa'ah al-Adawi says that I came to Rasulullah while Nabi was delivering a khutbah. So I said to Messenger of Allah, Rajulun Gharibun Ja'a Yas'alu Andinihi La Yadri Ma Deenuhu that I am a person that has come to ask about his deen and I don't know anything about it. So here, Imam Nawawi in his commentary, he points out that it's very possible that his question was about accepting Islam, that he was interested in entering into Islam. Now while we don't know what Rasulullah was speaking of before the arrival of this individual, what we do know is that this person came to ask about something important. So Rasulullah فَأَقْبَلَ عَلَيَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ وَتَرَكَ خُطْبَتَهُ حَتَّى إِنْتَهَا إِلَيَّ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam directed his attention towards me. He left his sermon until he came right before me. فَأُتِيَ بِكُرْسِيٍ A chair was brought for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sallam حَسِبْتُ طَوَائِمَهُ حَدِيدًا قَالَ فَقَعَدَ عَلَيْهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ so Rasulullah started teaching me from that which with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him knowledge of. And then Rasulullah went back to his khutbah. So right away we see here that the Prophet saw an individual who was sincere, who was in need, who had a genuine question. So the Prophet gave that person attention. And this is important that when someone comes to you with a question, do your best to respond to them. Because if you keep shrugging them off, they will lose the ability, the confidence to ask questions. And let alone confidence to ask a question, they'll lose interest. That how can I trust people or go to people when I've turned to them multiple times and they've given me no attention at all. They haven't given me the time of the day. So Rasulullah gave this person so much habba. So then Imam Nawi rahmatullahi alayhi while commenting on this, he says, وَفِيهِ الْمُبَادَرَةُ إِلَىٰ جَوَابِ الْمُسْتَفْتِهِ وَتَقْدِيمُ أَهَمِّ الْأُمُورِ فَأَهَمِّهَا That here we see Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prioritize things, that when he saw that there was something that needed immediate attention, he turned towards that. وَلَعَلَّهُ كَانَ سَأَلَ عَنِ الْإِيمَانِ وَقَوَاعِدِهِ الْمُهِمَّةِ وَقَدْ اتَّفَقَ الْعُلَمَاءُ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ مَن جاء the ulama are of agreement that 
if a person comes to you and asks you about Islam, Iman, that must be prioritized. You can't put it on the back burner. You need to give it attention right away. We saw in our Mashayikh that, you know, if someone asked them a question about Iman, they left everything. Everything. There was a friend of mine who was a student at the University of, Urba, of, Urba, of Urbana in Champaign in Illinois, it's a state university, famous university out there. And he called me and said that there is an individual who is Hindu and he's interested in accepting Islam. Uh, he has some Christian friends who are trying to persuade him to accept Christianity and the others of us that are Muslims are trying to talk to him about Islam. So the Christians have said that they will send a religious figure of theirs to engage in discussion with the Muslim community in his presence. Almost like a debate. And therefore giving him the opportunity to see the theology of both religions in play and enabling him to make a decision. So he asked me, he said, Sheikh, would you mind coming? Now, I don't usually like debates and things. These are not my uh, most preferred method of engagement. But there was a need. It had to be done. And it wasn't baseless. It wasn't just a show. It wasn't something that would be recorded, that would be posted online somewhere. Those sort of things you have to be even more careful with. So he drove, I think it's a three-hour drive. May Allah reward him. He picked me up, drove another three hours back to Urbana-Champaign. And I remember sitting with that individual. And amazingly, we had our conversation while sitting in a noodles and company. That's where the discussion took place. It was very cordial. It was very good. The case for Islam is so easy. It doesn't really take any hard work. I think with others, they have to jump through loops and a lot of gymnastics to convince others of their theology. In Islam, it's very simple. Because the message of Islam is very, very straightforward. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. In the opening part of that conversation, I asked that individual, I said, okay, as a Christian, explain your, your fundamentals, the basics of your theology. And he naturally had to grapple with the complicated and sophisticated concept of Trinity. And so now he's trying to explain three are one, one is three, and he's going back and forward. And the truth is that it wasn't convincing. It just doesn't add up. That's it, simple. And he must have spoken about it for half an hour, and I asked some very uh, easy questions. Not easy as in there were harder questions to be asked, not in that sense, but easy meaning there were very obvious questions to ask, low-hanging fruits. I asked those questions and it became longer and longer. And my response to that individual was that, look, you know how this person had to take half an hour to explain his theology? I'm going to do mine in 30 seconds. And I'm not going to drag it out. You're more than welcome to ask any question you want. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. The message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is universal and doesn't require a PhD to be written on it to understand what your basics are in your belief. Our iman is so simple that you can give it to someone who's you know, spent their life working in a farm or someone who's spent their life in a field or maybe someone spent their life you know, in, in some sort of a lab and they can understand it. It's a very simple concept. La ilaha illallah and Muhammad Rasulullah. The la ilaha illallah part, there are no questions at all. There's nothing there. You can ask your questions and we can solve that very quickly. Muhammad Rasulullah, because la ilaha illallah 
believing in Allah is badihi, it's fitri. It's in every human being's innate nature. Risala is added. Risala, believing someone as a prophet, a particular individual as a prophet, is not built in within every human being's innate nature. Nature. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave Anbiya alayhim salam mu'ajizat, which are otherwise also referred to as dala'il al-nubuwa. That for every prophet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them miracles, and those miracles were the clear proof and clear indicators towards that prophet's prophethood. So now we can have a conversation on risala if you'd like to. But as far as our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes, there's nothing to be said. La ilaha illallah. Muhammad Rasulullah. Therefore, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us Afdalu dhikri la ilaha illallah. Afdalu dhikri la ilaha. The best form of remembrance is la ilaha illallah. So he says, Wajaba ijabatuhu wa ta'alimuhu ala al-fawr. That if someone comes to you with a question regarding iman, you must leave everything and give that person, that individual, your undivided attention so you can. Um, address the issue. And then he says, قُعُدُهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ عَلَى الْكُرْسِ لِيَسْمَعَ الْبَاقُونَ كَلَامَهُ وَيَرَوْ شَخْصَهُ الْكَرِيمُ Why did Rasulullah صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ sit on a chair while delivering the sermon? Imam Nawi says, it's so that others could hear him and they can see him as an educator. This is one of the reasons why the teacher may sit and teach from a platform or from while sitting on a chairs to everyone has a clear uh, line of sight where they can see the individual they're learning from. This is from the teachings of Rasulullah Similarly, it was a practice of the Prophet to deliver his community sermons from a member. The Prophet had a pulpit made and he would climb that pulpit and he would speak from there. And later on the Khulafa that followed um, also imitated Rasulullah in this. The Prophet would stand on the third step of his mimbar and speak from there. When Abu Bakr Siddiq became Khalifa, he viewed it disrespectful to stand where the Prophet did, so he would stand on the second step. When Umar became Khalifa, he did not view himself worthy to stand where his predecessors stood, so he would stand on the first step. The adab and ihtiram, the love these people had. For one another. So he says that, um, that we also see the permissibility of sitting while teaching. You don't have to. You don't have to be standing while teaching. You can be comfortable specifically if you know that it's going to be a longer conversation and what you're going to say requires attention. It also lets the other person feel that you're not rushing them. So after Jumu'ah Salah, it's common that someone will come and ask about Islam. Amazingly, this happens quite regularly. I think in American Masajid, more commonly, alhamdulillah, that every other Jumu'ah, there's someone there that's asking about Islam. When someone approaches me and I'm standing in the foyer just greeting the community members as they're leaving and someone says I'm interested in Islam, my policy is to take them to the side room and sit with them. Not answer them while standing in the foyer. They'll feel that you're rushing them. And something as important as questions about iman, the deen, they should not be rushed. You should sit down and talk with people and try to give it the best you can. Yes? 
The reason for Rasulullah sitting on a chair was to enable others to hear his words and to see his noble countenance. I say, meaning Shaykh Abdul Fattah al this hadith shows that it is permissible for a teacher to sit on a chair while teaching. Standing all the time is therefore not compulsory. Hadith number 13. Bukhari, Nasa'i, and Ibn Majah narrate on the authority of Sharif ibn, ibn Abi Namir that he heard Anas bin Malik saying, While we were sitting in the masjid, a man on a camel entered, seated his camel in the courtyard of the masjid, and fastened. Uh, he then addressed them, Which of you is Muhammad? At the time, Rasulullah was sitting among them, leaning against something. We said to the man, This is Muhammad. This fair person who was, who was leaning. So here, a person came to the masjid where Rasulullah was sitting with the companions and he uh, tied his camel and then came inside and said, Ayyukum Muhammad. So there's, there are a few points. I always found this statement, Ayyukum Muhammad, of this visitor to Medina Munawwara, profound. Because right off the bat, there are two things that we see. Number one, how humble Rasulullah was in his dress and appearance. Unlike the rulers of the world who would refuse to sit on anything but an extravagant, elegant throne. Unlike the presidents of the world who wouldn't travel unless there is a massive entourage with them wherever they go. There was, I won't say the name of the individual, even though I'm sure most of you may know who I'm speaking of. There was a uh, recent incident of a Middle Eastern monarch who went to France on a plane and insisted on a golden escalator for his descent from the plane. They actually had to fly in the escalator as well. Like how dumb is that? How silly is that? And if I remember correctly, it malfunctioned. They deserve it. Right? You deserve that when you're trying to go so far above and beyond doing silly things like this. Someone who's the head of an institute will ensure that on their table there is a sign that highlights their position. So people know that this is the president of the organization. This is the, you know, the CEO of the organization, the CFO of the organization. With Rasulullah there was no placard anywhere. There were no signs, no symbols, no special elegant dress, no gown. It was just the Prophet in his two very humble, simple garments, something similar to what you might see Hujjaj dressed in during their pilgrimage. This was how humble Rasulullah was. Not always, but more often than not, people focus on their persona because their personalities don't carry any real weight. So they have to overcompensate on the other end. With Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he had such a strong personality, such a strong spiritual presence, that when you're at that maqam and that level, you actually don't care about other people. Because you know deep in your heart, what you are and what your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. It's like, for example, if you see someone who is a trained fighter, 
Most trained fighters, and you may not believe this because most of you are probably used to seeing these sportsmen that are on TV, but you're just talking about the average person who is a trained fighter. They don't carry it, and neither do they need to overcompensate. They know in a tough situation, they can put someone down. They're very confident that if I was asked to perform in this moment, I can do it. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was very humble. And this reflects what kind of personality he carried in his heart, what kind of individual he was. Now, one thing to note here, wearing nice garments or having a sort of ambiance with you isn't a bad thing in itself. There were many ulama through history who preferred that. Part of it was their personality, that that's the type of person the individual was. But secondly, they also felt that it was necessary in the times they lived in because people wouldn't respect ulama and ilm otherwise. So they would carry themselves a particular way. We have both things. You see some ulama, uh, very humble, humble rides, humble garments, and then you'll see others that are very proper. Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu was from that second category as a person. If you recall when I shared his biography with you, when we studied his first book, um, Islamic Matters, Min Adab al-Islam. In that introductory lesson, I introduced Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda to you, and I told you then that he was someone that was very proper in his dress, and it meant a lot to him. And in our culture, in our society, in our community, I think that this is appropriate as well. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's dress was always elegant. It says, Ayyukum Muhammad, which one of you is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? The second thing, the second reflection that could be had here is not only do we see the simplicity in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but we see the imitation of the Sahaba of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That each one of them was imitating the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Because there's a question here that how is it that someone enters into a, a room and there is a Nabi sitting there and they can't recognize the person? Well, I told you guys about the simplicity and humbleness of Rasulullah. One moment, the internet disconnected. No, I have the book. I just the, the stream died. Fatima, could you message Hannah? Tell her to add me on the stream. Anyway, we'll continue. ثُمَّ قَالَ لَهُمْ أَيُّكُمْ مُحَمَّدٌ Which one of you is Muhammad sallallahu We also see here the ittiba' of the Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu How they were very particular to imitate the uh, every detail that they could from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yes, go ahead. The man addressed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O son of Abdul Muttalib. 
Rasulullah replied, I have heard you, um, so say whatever you wish. The man said, O Muhammad, I am going to pose some questions to you. I will be very harsh with you in my questioning, so do not be angry with me. Rasulullah replied, Ask whatever you desire. One thing the ulama point out here, and I've addressed this previously in our class, but because the hadith mentions it, I'll bring it up here again. Most of the narrations where someone is addressing Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam by his name, like Ayyukum Muhammad, most of these narrations, the questioner was a Bedouin, because the Sahaba would not refer to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam by his name. It was not considered the best adab. Bedouins were a little bit more rough on the edges, but they were honest people, and that's why everyone loved them. You know, their zahir is their batin, their batin is their zahir. Just very straightforward people. So he says that inni sa'iluka wa mushaddidun alayka fil mas'ala that I'm going to ask questions that I may be a little tough as well. Fala tajidanna alayya fi nafsik. So don't be angry with me. Don't be angry with me. Qala sal amma badalak Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said ask away. So now he starts. Yes. He says I ask you in the name of your sustainer and the sustainer of all the, of all who were before you. Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send you? Note here, uh, he said, La tajidanna alayya fi nafsik. La tajidanna alayya fi nafsik. Don't make the mistake of translating tajidu here in the meaning of finding. That's not what it means. Here it's in the meaning of La taghdabanna alayya. Keep this in mind. The word um, wajada comes in the meaning of ghadiba as well. And in hadith, you'll find this happen every now and then, that the word wajada comes in the meaning of ghadiba. So, la tajidanna ay la taghdabanna, la taghdabanna aliyya. Yes. He says, I ask you in the name of your sustainer and the sustainer of all who were before you. Did Allah send you to all the people? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam replied, Oh Allah, yes. He says, That's a way of answering. So he asked, Allahu arsalaka ilan nasi kullihim. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send you to all the people. Nabi Sallallahu said, Allahumma na'am. Yes, by Allah, yes. I have been sent to all the people. He said, Fakala, fa'anshiduka billah. Allahu amaraka an nusalli as salawat al khamsa fil yomi wal layla. Allahumma na'am. He then made him take an oath again. By Allah, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send you? Uh, to command us to pray five times a day. Nabi Sallallahu said, yes. So he kept asking Nabi Sallallahu the fundamentals of the deen. That did Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala tell you to tell us to pray? Or is this from you? No, Allah said it. Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala command you to instruct us to give sadaqah, um, zakat, and to do, perform, uh, to, do, to fast, and so on. So for every time Nabi Wasallam said, yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. He said, I ask you in the name of Allah, did Allah command you that we should offer five salahs in a day? Rasulullah replied, oh Allah, yes. He said, I ask you in the name of Allah, did Allah command you that we should fast in this month of the year? Meaning Ramadan. Rasulullah replied, Oh Allah, yes. 
He said, I ask you in the name so of Allah. So the mention of this Allahumma na'am, the ulama, they say, ذَكَرَ لَفْضَ اللَّهُمَّ لِلْتَبَرُّكَ That Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allahumma, right? Seeking barakah. Otherwise the answer was na'am. Yes. كَأَنَّهُ قَالَ يَا اللَّهُ إِنِّي أُشْهِدُكَ أَنَّ مَا أَقُولَ حَقٌ It's as if he was saying, Oh Allah, well, I make you a witness to what I am saying, that it is the truth. That's a sort of way of reading that statement. Yes, go ahead. He said, I ask you in the name of Allah, did Allah command you to take the zakah from our rich and distribute it among our poor? Rasulullah replied, Oh Allah, yes. The man said, I believe in what you have come with, and I will be uh, your boy to my people whom I left behind. My name is the uh, Imam ibn Thalaba, the confederate of Banu Sa'd ibn Bakr. Yes. In one narration, when this person left, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, he has taken a deep understanding with him. His questions were basic. In order to understand the deen, you don't need sophisticated questions. What you need are questions that are meaningful and that you will act upon. So when you ask a question, you need to ask yourself before you utter a word to your teacher, that am I willing to act upon this? Or am I just asking the question for the sake of asking? Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda rahimahullah ta'ala says that ma'aqala hadha rajul as-sa'il how intelligent was this questioner? And how amazing was his approach that his way of asking was a little stern but he made it clear to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from the beginning that don't take offense from my approach because this is who I am. And then he says that when he asked his questions and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave the answers he then gave a guarantee or sort of a commitment to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that I will convey this to other people, I will act upon it. That what I learned from you right now, what you gave me, this honesty, this conversation we had, it will result into something. And there's nothing more amazing for a teacher than that. There's nothing that anyone here can offer this classroom, this gathering, more than a commitment to doing amal on what you learn and conveying it on to other people. There is no need for any tuition here. There is no need for any gifts here. What we want from students of knowledge is two things. Actually a couple of things, but let's focus on two for now. Right? That you try your best to do amal upon what you learn, and then you convey it on to other people. As for the other things, we've covered them before. Things like ikhlas and so on, good adab, that you are, cons- that you are punctual with your timing and We've had these conversations before, so we'll continue. Yes. Consider the questioner's intelligence. How beautifully he entered and introduced the questions which he posed to Rasulullah He asked Rasulullah to take an oath in the name of Allah for the answers to his questions. He had full confidence in the truthfulness of Rasulullah When we, When he had completed his questions and received the answers, he announced his Islam and informed Rasulullah that he would be he, he would be his envoy to his people uh, who had sent him and who followed him. Yeah, so he said that I'm going to go back to my people and I will teach them. Therefore, لِذَا قَالَ سَيْدُنَا إِبْنُ عَبَّاسِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ مَا سَمِعْنَا بِوَافِدِ قَوْمٍ قَدْتُ كَانَ أَفْضَرَ مِنْ That there was no delegate, no, no representative of a people that came to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa that was more intelligent 
uh, than that was more superior, more virtuous than Dhimam bin Thalaba. It was a very succinct conversation. He knew what he wanted. He came to the Prophet ﷺ, asked the questions, made his commitment, went back and got to work. وَكَانَ سَيْدُنَا عُمَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْ يَقُولَ Similarly, Umar رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْ used to say, مَا رَأَيْتُ أَحْدًا أَحْسَنَ مَسْأَلَةً وَلَا أَوْجَزَ مِنْ ذِمَامٍ ثَعْلَبًا I never saw anyone who had such beautiful questioning and was more just brief and concise than ذِمَامٍ ثَعْلَبًا رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْ Yes. They had sent him to inquire about the authenticity of the messenger who was inviting so that they could also believe in him. They sent Imam anhu as a delegate solely because they had full confidence in the composure of his intellect, his far-sightedness, and his true insight. How right, how right, they, how right they were, and how excellent he was. This is why Abdullah Abbas anhu said, "We never heard of a delegate better than Imam." Umar anhu used to say, "I never saw anyone better than Imam Ibn Talib in posing questions and being so precise in this regard." May Allah Ta'ala be pleased with you. Let's continue. Hadith number 14. Muslim narrates on the authority of Abu Ayyub anhu, who said, A Bedouin approached Rasulullah while he was on a journey. He took hold of the nose ring or reins of Rasulullah He's bringing all the Bedouin narrations, note that. Right. Uh, each one had an interesting sort of introduction might need you to message Hannah again. Disconnected. Trying to join. Okay. Um, so in this scenario, a better way approaches Rasulullah sallallahu So he takes the nose ring of the animal and holds it, which is a very rough way of holding an animal. That's how he stops the animal. Yes. And said, O Rasulullah, or O Muhammad, Inform me of that which will draw me closer to paradise and take me further away from hell. Even if someone did that to me, if someone did something like this, I would be just really mad. This is really mad. I think mad is the um, softest word I can use. I can use in this moment. I'd be really, really upset if someone did that to me. I'm not kidding. If someone came to me and grabbed me by the back of my collar while I was walking, or if someone... And I speak on, hopefully on behalf of most of us. It's probably a true statement. That imagine you got in your car and you're about to drive off from the masjid, then your window's open and someone comes and grabs your steering wheel. It wouldn't be cute for more than three seconds. For three seconds it would be a little cute. Then after that you'd say, buddy, let it go. You'd look at him in the eye and say, stop. Not okay. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, he was able to distinguish between people being disrespectful and other people just being who they were. So when someone does something like that, you immediately look at it from your perspective. But how does it make me feel? Right now, I don't feel good, so I don't care what you're asking about. I'm done. This conversation never happened. It will not happen. I'm not even sure if I'm going to say assalamu alaikum to you. And you leave. For the Prophet ﷺ, it wasn't about how... He, he was perceiving it, but it was more about what was that person doing? If the other person was legitimately being disrespectful, and that was something that the Sahaba would never dare do, but then you would see Nabi Wasallam making a correction. On the other hand, if the other person was just being genuine, but again, rough on the edges, the Prophet ﷺ would tolerate them. So now, we always talk about this issue 
that should we um, speak to individuals, guys specifically, who decide to come into the masjid with their basketball clothes on, with their knees all exposed, legs all open, they're wearing their shorts when they're coming for prayer. You have to look at who the person is. If it's someone who you have higher expectations from because they are expected to be more cultured and they have tarbiyah done and they've possibly spent time in a, a you know, more um, conservative environment, more, you know, just with senior individuals who have done their tarbiyah, then yes, you should call them out. What are you doing? Buddy, get out, go change. But if it's a person who barely spends any time in the masjid and they're coming, even though their garments may not be the most ideal garments, hopefully as long as their awrah is covered, then you should consider accommodating them. So there are different people and people are on a spectrum. We were in a place where it was unimaginable that a student would come to the masjid for salah without their hat on. Because that was an expectation of us. That you are students of knowledge. This is something that the Prophet ﷺ wore. You need to make sure you wear it. Now does that mean that we should go around putting on communal hats on everyone's head that walks in the masjid? No. Because people come from different walks of life. You know, it's a sunnah. Hopefully one day they can adopt it on their own. And they can choose it if they see. Uh, if they are taught properly, they will choose it. Inshallah. They will choose that. Because that's the beauty of the sunnah, that it shines and it, it enlightens people. And when people are given the choice to choose, and they are walked down that path, they will make the right decisions. You can't force it on them. So there is a saying in Arabi, Hasanatul Abrar, Sayyatul Muqarrabin. That sometimes what's viewed as a good deed for one person, is viewed outright disrespectful and... Um, this negligence from another individual. An example of this, one person comes in the masjid and prays their salah in jama'ah. People would say, wow, look at that person. They prayed their salah in jama'ah. And they left. Another person comes, Zakibai comes to the masjid, he prays his salah in jama'ah and he leaves. If I was in the masjid, I would call him back. I would say, Zakibai, sunnat ki chutti hai kya? Are you on break from praying sunnah? He will say, but that guy prayed his fard and left. You didn't say anything to him. Well, I'm happy that person's fulfilling his fard. He is not a fifth-year alamiya student with me. You are. And therefore, you should not be leaving your sunnah prayer. You cannot leave the masjid until you've done your sunnah, your tasbihat, your dua, and then you leave the masjid. There is another expectation from you. For that person, it was a righteous deed. That was good. They came and prayed. For you, not acceptable. Hasanatul abrar. That for one person, it's good, good job. But for another person, no, that's not acceptable. Because there is a, you are closer, you're further along the path in your, in your journey. Yes. But look at this man's question, man. Hats off to him. He says, أَخْبِرْنِي بِمَا يُقَرِّبُنِي مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ وَيُبَاعِدُنِي مِنَ النَّارِ After all that roughness, once we're done with that, look at his question. And you see Nabi wasallam's assessment was perfect. Because his question, it just, it, there's a sincerity that's flowing off of it. O Messenger of Allah, tell me what will take me to Jannah and protect me from the fire of hell. 
That's what I want to know. And when someone asks you a question about their akhirah, you know that they're in the right place. You can tell by the way people ask questions. For most people, their questions are about fiqh. So either they're figuring out what to do, or they're trying to get out of something that they have to do. It's one of two things. That's the nature of fiqhi questions. But then there are questions that are about the akhirah. And when someone asks about jannah, when they ask about protection from the fire of hell, you see something in that person. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sees this person's question. And may Allah reward him, uh, because now we are able to benefit from his question. Now imagine the sahaba that were there. Do you think they would have been happy or sad? Or let's not use sad, frustrated. If you were there and someone grabbed you know, the, the, the ring around the nose of the animal of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa what would be your reaction in that moment, most of you? Ready to rush that person? Double leg takedown, full mount, X choke, tap. That's what you're thinking, right? But you know what, I'm gonna, or I'm just gonna gob this guy straight. Or if you're not saying or doing anything because you know that you don't step out of line in front of the Prophet you're still probably worked up in that moment. Like, are you nuts? Let go right now. That's at least what you're thinking. So keep that vibe in mind. The Sahaba are there watching this person grab the nose ring of the animal of Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam and ask his question. فَكَفَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ ثُمَّ نَذَرَ فِي أَصْحَابِهِ ثُمَّ قَالْ لَقَدْ وُفِّقَ أَوْ لَقَدْ هُدِيَ In order to wash out any thoughts that anyone had of him, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turned to the companions and he said, this man has been divinely inspired. So now all that anger washed away. If this person's been divinely inspired, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is okay with what happened because what's about to come next will be epic. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turns back to the questioner. And he says, Kayfaqult, repeat. What did you say? Fa'ada. That person then repeated his question. Faqala Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ta'budu Allah wa la tashriku bihi shay'a wa tuqimu salah wa tu'tiya zakah wa tasilu rahim da'in naqa. Nabi sallallahu he gives them a brief answer. He says to him, Worship Allah without making partners. Establish your salah, give your zakah. Build bonds, keep your family ties strong. And now let go of my camel. Which tells us throughout the time the guy was still holding on. At this point, many of you probably thought he let go within a few seconds. Maybe it was one of those things where you just hold on for three seconds and let go. And then there's a guy who holds and isn't letting go, even though you've asked them to repeat the question and you've almost you've committed to the conversation and that person is still holding on. Nabi Sallallahu then says, Da'inaka. It's riwayat like these and moments like this that when you see Rasulullah's patience and his forbearance, that you are humbled because most of us will acknowledge in honesty that we wouldn't be able to pull something like this off. You can ask a person to run 10 miles, they'll do that. Ask them to be patient. 
I can't do that. I'm sorry. Tell me something else. What else do you want me to do? You want me to go get, get work three jobs? I can do that. But good character, patience in moments like this, this is for the champions of the world, the heavyweights. إِنَّمَا الشَّدِيدُ الَّذِي يَمْلِكُ نَفْسَهُ عِنْدَ الْغَضَبِ As Rasulullah says that the tough one is the one who can control themselves in moments of anger. Allahumma salli ala Honestly, just lost for words. Nothing left to say. The character of the Prophet No wonder people fell in love with him. No wonder his words penetrated their hearts. Such a jamia narration. The last thing I'll point out as we uh, conclude today's class is when these Bedouins came to Rasulullah and asked him about the deen, the Prophet did not engage in lengthy, technical, philosophical jargon. Very basic. This one did not mention the Sum Ramadan. But you guys understand the point. That you know, very basic stuff that go and do this, go and do that. So when someone comes to you with a question, hey man, I'm feeling a spiritual crisis. You can talk about how to you know, navigate that crisis, but give them something to do. That buddy, I want you to just take out time every day and do dhikr for five minutes. Can you do that for me? You think you can pull that off? Maybe from, for the next ten days, spend five minutes and do some dua. Shaykh, I'd like to grow spiritually. Okay, you want to do this? We'll talk about some of the discussions of spirituality, but how about I see you in the masjid every day? Come here. Come to the masjid and pray. Give them something to do. Where you can engage someone intellectually, when you connect someone to ibadah, you open up a path between them and Allah, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fills them with the energy that they need. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nourishes them and takes care of them. For most of us, unfortunately, we've sealed all of our ibadah off. Either we're not doing them, or the ibadah we're doing, unfortunately, are filled with distractions and insincerity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us ikhlas and uh, the ability to follow the sunnah of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and allow us to be um, positive influencers in our society, community, and families. وصلى الله تعالى على سيدنا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته